0: International Short Stories, Volume 3, French Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carla Cortes. International Short Stories, Volume 3, French Stories. COMPILED AND TRANSLATED BY FRANCIS J. REYNOLDS THE AGE FOR LOVE BY PAUL Briget When I submitted the plan of my inquiry upon The Age for Love to the editor-in-chief of the Boulevard, the highest type of French literary paper, he seemed astonished that an idea so journalistic that was his word Should have been evolved from the brain of his most recent acquisition. I had been with him two weeks, and it was my first contribution. Give me some details, my dear Laberthee, he said, in a somewhat less insolent manner than was his wont. After listening to me for a few moments, he continued, That is good. You will go and interview certain men and women, first upon the age at which one loves the most, next upon the age when one is most loved. Is that your idea? And now to whom will you go first? I have prepared a list, I replied, and took from my pocket a sheet of paper. I had jotted down the names of a number of celebrities, who might propose to interview on this all-important question, and I began to read over my list. It contained two ex-government officials, a general, a Dominican father, four actresses, two café concert singers, four actors, two financiers, two lawyers, a surgeon and a lot of literary celebrities. At some of the names, my chief would nod his approval. At others, he would say curtly, with an affection of American manners. But, uh, strike it off. Until I came to the name I had kept for the last. That of Pierre Fauquier, the famous novelist strike that off he said shrugging his shoulders he's not on good terms with us and yet i suggested is there any one whose opinion would be of greater interest to reading men as well as to women i had even thought of beginning with him the devil you had interrupted the editor-in-chief it is one of valkyrie's principles not to see any reporters i have sent him ten if i have one and he has shown them all the door the boulevard does not relish such treatment so we have given him some pretty hard hits nevertheless i will have an interview with falkery for the boulevard Was my reply. I am sure of it. If you succeed, he replied, I'll raise your salary. That man makes me tired with his scorn of newspaper notorious. He must take his share of it like the rest. But you will not succeed. What makes you think you can? Permit me to tell you my reason later. In forty-eight hours, you will see whether. I have succeeded or not. Go and do not spare the fellow. Decidedly, I had made some progress as a journalist, even in my two weeks' apprenticeship. If I could permit Pascal to speak in this way of the man I most admire among living writers, since that not far distant time when, tired of being poor, I had made up my mind to cast my lot of the multitude in Paris I had tried to lay aside my old self as lizards do their skins and I had almost succeeded in a former time though was but yesterday I knew for in a drawer full of poems dramas and half-finished tales i had proof of it that there had once existed, existed a certain Jules celebrity who had come to paris with the hope of becoming a great man that person believed in literature with a capital l in the ideal another capital in glory a third capital he was now dead and buried would he some day his position assured Begin to write once more from pure love of his art? Possibly, but for the moment I knew only the energetic, practical Abati, who had joined the procession with the idea of getting into the front rank, and of obtaining as soon as possible an income of thirty thousand francs a year. What would it matter to this second individual? if that bill pascal should boast of having stolen a march of the most delicate the most powerful of the hairs of balzac since i the new la was capable of looking forward to an operation which required about as much delicacy as some of the performances of my editor-in-chief i had as a matter of fact, a sure means of obtaining the interview. It was this: when I was young and simple, I had sent some verses and stories to Pure Poetry, the same verses and stories that refusals of which, by four editors, had finally made me decide to enter the field of journalism. The great writer was traveling at this time, but he had replied to me. I had responded by a letter, to which he again replied, this time with an invitation to call upon him. I went. I did not find him. I went again. I did not find him that time. Then, a sort of timidity prevented my returning to the church. So I had never met him. He knew me only as a young Ilia of my two epistles. This is what I counted upon to secure from him the favor of an interview, which he certainly would refuse to a mere newspaper man. My plan was simple: to present myself at his house, to be received, to conceal my real occupation, to sketch vaguely a subject for a novel in which there should occur a discussion upon the age for love to make him talk and then when he should discover his conversation in print here i began to feel some remorse but i stifled it with the terrible phrase the struggle for life and also by the recollection of numerous examples called from the firm with which I knew had the honor of being connected. The morning after I had had this very literary conversation with my honorable director, I rang at the door of the small house in the rue Les Bordes-Valmore, where pure Fauquiery lived, in a retired corner of pace. Having taken up my pen to tell a plain unvarnished tale, I do not see how I can conceal the wretched feeling of pleasure which, as I rang the bell, warmed my heart at the thought of the good joke. I was about to play on the owner of this peaceful abode. Even after making up one's mind to the sacrifices I had decided upon, there is always left a trace of envy for those who have triumphed in the melancholy struggle for literary supremacy it was a real disappointment to me when the servant replied ill humorously that mr Falkery was not in paris i asked when he would return the servant did not know i asked for his address the servant did not know that poor lion who thought he had secured anonymity for this holiday and half-hour later i had discovered that he was staying for the present at the chateau de poby near nimos i had merely had to make inquiries of his publisher two hours later i bought my ticket at the gare de Lyon for the little town chosen by balzac as a scene for his delicious story of Ursel Miroet. I took a traveling bag and was prepared to spend the night there. In case I failed to see the master that afternoon, I had decided to make sure of him the next morning. Exactly seven hours after the servant faithful to his trust, had declared that he did not know where his master was staying i was standing in the hall of the chateau waiting for my card to be sent up i had taken care to write on it a reminder of our conversation of the year before and this time after ten minute wait in the hall during which i noticed with singular curiosity and malice Two very elegant and very pretty young women going out for a walk. I was admitted to his presence. Aha! I said to myself. This, then, is the secret of his exile. The interview comes as well. The noblest received me in a cozy little room, with a window opening onto the park. Already beginning to turn yellow with the advancing autumn. A wood fire burned in the fireplace and lighted up the walls which were hung with flowered cretonne and on which could be distinguished several colored English prints representing cross-country rides and the jumping of hedges. Here was the worldly environment with which folkery is so often reproached but the books and papers that littered the table bore witness that the present occupant of his charming retreat remained a substantial man of letters his habit of constant work was still further attested by his face which i admit gave me all at once a feeling of remorse the trick i was about to play him if i had found him the snobbish pretender whom the weekly newspapers were in the habit of ridiculing it would have been a delight to outwit his diplomacy but now i saw as he put down his pen to receive me a man about fifty-seven years old with a face that bore the marks of reflection, I tired sleeplessness, a brow heavy with thought, who said, as he pointed to an easy chair, You will excuse me, my dear confrere, for keeping you waiting. I, his dear confrere. Ah, if he had known, you see, and he pointed to the page still wet within. That man cannot be free from the slavery of furnishing cup. One has less facility at my age than at yours. Now, let us speak of yourself. How do you happen to be a What have you been doing since the story and the verses you were kind enough to send me? It is vain to try to sacrifice once for all one's youthful ideals when a man has loved literature and i loved it at twenty he cannot be satisfied at twenty-six to give up his early passion even at the beating of implacable necessity so Pierre valkyrie remembered my poor verses he had actually read my story his solution proved it. Could I tell him at such a moment that, since the creation of those first works, I had despaired of myself, and that I had changed my gun to the other shoulder? The image of the Boulevard office rose suddenly before me. I heard the voice of the editor-in-chief saying, Interview Valkyrie. You will never accomplish that. So fearful that to myself imposed role, I replied, "I have retired to Nemours to work upon a novel called *The Age for Love*, and it is on this subject that I wish to consult you, my dear master." It seemed to me it, were, it may possibly have been an illusion that at the announcement of the so-called title of my so-called novel a smile and a shadow fitted over falkyrie's eyes and mouth a vision of the two young women i had met in the hall came back to me was the author of so many great masterpieces of analysis about to leave a new book before writing it i had no time to answer this question With a glance at an onyx vase containing some cigarettes of Turkish tobacco, he offered me one, lighter one himself, and began first to question, then to reply to me. I listened while well, he thought aloud and had almost forgotten my Machiavellian combination. So keen was my relish of the joyous intimacy of his, of this communion with a mind i had passionately loved in his words he was the first of the great writers of our day whom i had thus approached on something like terms of intimacy. as he talked i observed the strange similarity between his spoken and his written words i admired the charming simplicity with which he abandoned himself to the pleasures of imagination His superabundant intelligence, the liveliness of his impressions, and his total absence of arrogance and of hopes. There is no such thing as an age for love, he said in substance, because the man capable of loving, in the complex and modern sense of love, as a sort of ideal exaltation, never ceases to love. I will go further. He never ceases to love the same person. you know the experiment that a contemporary psychologist tried with a series of portraits to determine in what the indefinable resemblances called family likeness consisted? He took photographs of twenty persons of the same blood. Then he photographed these photographs on the same plate, one over the other. In this way he discovered the common feature which determined the type. Well, I am convinced that if he would try a similar experiment and photograph one upon another the pictures of the different women whom the same man has loved or thought he had loved in the course of his life, we should discover that all these women resemble one another. The most inconsistent have cherished one at the same being through five or six or even twenty different embodiments. The main point is to find out at what age they have met the woman who approaches nearest to the one whose image they have constantly borne within themselves. For them, that would be the age of love the age for being loved continued the deepest of all the passions i have ever known a man to inspire was in the case of one of my masters a poet and he was sixty years old at the time it is true that he still held himself as erect as a young man he came and went with a step as light as yours he conversed like Riverole, he composed verses as beautiful as the vigny he was besides very poor very lonely and very unhappy having lost one after another his wife and his children Do you remember the word of shakespeare's more? She loved me for the dangers I had passed, and I loved her that she did pity them. So it was that this great artist inspired in a beautiful, noble, and wealthy young Russian woman, a devotion so passionate that because of him she never married. She found a way to take care of him, day and night, in spite of his family, during his last illness, and at that the present time, having bought from his hairs all of the poet's personal belongings, she keeps the apartment where he lived, just as it was at the time of his death. That was years ago. In her case she found in a man three times her own age, person who corresponded to a certain ideal which she carried in her heart look at get a lamartine and at many others to the big feelings of this high plane you must give up the process of minute and insignificant observation which is the pain of the artist of two day. in order that a sixty year old lover should appear neither ridiculous nor odious, you must apply to him what the elder Cornell so proud said of himself in his lines to the Marquise Sependon Jacques de Have the courage to analyze great emotions to create characters who shall be lofty and true the whole art of the analytical novel lies there as he spoke the master had such a light of intellectual certainty in his eyes that to me he seemed the embodiment of one of those great characters he had been urging me to describe it made me feel that the theory of this man himself almost as exegenarian that at any age one may inspire love was not unreasonable. The contrast between the world of ideas in which he moved and the atmosphere of the literary shop in which, for the last few months, I had been stifling was too strong. The dreams of my youth were realized in this phase. Growing old was the living illustration of the beautiful saying, since we must let us wear out nobly his slender figure bespoke the austerity of long hours of work his firm mouth showed his decision of character his brow with its deep furrows had the paleness of the paper over which he so softened bent and yet the refinement of his hands so well cared for the sober elegance of his dress and an aristocratic air that was natural to him showed that the finer professional virtues had been cultivated in the midst of a life of frivolous temptations these temptations had been no more of a disturbance to his ethical and spiritual nature than the academic honors the financial successes the numerous additions that had been his Withal, he was an awfully good fellow, for after having talked at great length with me, he ended by saying, Since you are staying in Nemours, I hope to see you often, and today I cannot let you go without presenting you to my hosts." What can I say? This was the way in which a mere reporter of the boulevard found himself installed at a five o'clock tea table in the Salon of the Chateau. For surely no newspaper man had ever before set foot and was presented as a young poet and novelist of the future to the old Marquis the Provy, whose guest that master was. The amiable white-haired dowager questioned me upon my alleged word and I replied equivocally, with blushes, which the good lady must have attributed to bashful timidity then as though some evil genius had conspired to multiply the witnesses of my bad conduct the two young women whom i had seen going out returned in the midst of my unlooked purpose. visit ah my interview with the student of community upon the age for love was about to have a living commentary how it would illumine his words to hear him conversing with these new arrivals one was a young girl of possibly twenty a russian if i really understood the name she was rather tall with a long face lighted up by two very gentle black eyes singular in their fire and intensity she bore a striking resemblance to the portrait attributed to francia in the salon Carré of the louvre which goes by the name of the many black because the color of his clothes and his mantle about her mouth and nostrils was that same subdued nervousness that same restrained feverishness which gives to the portrait its striking qualities i had not been there a quarter of an hour before i had guessed from the way she watched and listened to the folkery. what a passionate interest the old master inspired in her. When he spoke, she paid rapt attention. When she spoke to him, I felt her voice shiver, if I may use the word. And he, he glorious writer, surfeited with triumphs, exhausted by his labors, seemed, as soon as he felt the radiance of her glance of ingenious idolatry, to recover that vivacity, that elasticity of impression. Which is the game grace of the youthful lovers. I understand now why he seated Guth at the young girl of the merry Said I to myself with a laugh. As my hired carriage sped on toward Nemours, he was thinking of himself. He is in love with that child, and she is in love with him. We shall hear of his mar- of his marrying her. There's a wedding that will call for copy. And when Pascal hears that I witnessed the courtship, but just now I must think of my interview. Won't be surprised to read it day after tomorrow in his paper? But does he read the papers? It might not be right, but what harm will it do to him? Besides, it's a part of the struggle for life. It was by such reasoning, I remember, the reasoning of a man determined to write that I tried to lull to sleep they were a voice that he cried. You have no right to put on paper, to give to the public, what this noble writer said to you, supposing that he was receiving a poet, not a reporter. But I heard also the voice of my chief saying, "You will never succeed and this second voice i am ashamed to confess triumphed over the other with all the more ease because i was obliged to do something to kill time i reached nîmes too late for the train which would have brought me back to paris about dinner time at the old inn they gave me a room which was clean and quiet a good place to write so i spent the evening until bedtime Composing the first of the articles which were to form my inquiry. I scribbled away under the vivid impressions of the afternoon. My powers as well as my nerves spurred by a touch of remorse. Yes, I scribbled four pages which would have been no disgrace to the journal des Concords. That exquisite man- manual of the perfect reporter. It was all there My journey, my arrival at the Chateau A sketch of the quaint eighteenth century building, with its fringe of trees and its well kept walks, the master's room, the master himself and his conversation, the tea at the end and the smile of the oldest novelist in the midst of a circle of admirers. Old and young it lacked only a few closing lines i will add this in the morning i thought and went to bed with a feeling of duty performed such is the nature of a writer under the form of an interview i had done and i knew it the best work of my life what happens while we sleep is there unknown to us a secret and irresistible ferment of ideas while our senses are close to the impressions of the outside world. Certain it is that on awakening, I am apt to find myself in a state of mind very different from that in which I went to sleep. I had not been awake ten minutes before the image of Pierre Fauquier came up before me. And at the same time, the thought that I had taken a base advantage of the kindness of his reception. Of me became quite unbearable. I felt a passionate longing to see him again, to ask his pardon for my deception. I wished to tell him who I was, with what purpose I had gone to him, and that I regretted it. But there was no need of a confession. It would be enough to destroy the pages I had written the night before. With this idea, I arose. Before tearing them up, I reread them, and then any writer will understand me. And then they seemed to me so brilliant that I did not tear them up. Pocry is so intelligent, so generous. Was the thought that crossed my mind? Was the thought that crossed my mind? What is there in this interview? After all, to offend him? Nothing, absolutely nothing even if i should go to him again this very morning tell him my story and that upon the success of my little inquiry my whole future as a journalist might depend when he found that i had had five years of poverty and hard work without accomplishing anything and that i had to go on to a paper in order to earn the very bread i ate he would pardon me he would pity me and he would say publish our interview Yes, but what if he should forbid my publishing it? But no, he would not do that. I passed the morning in considering my latest plan. A certain shyness made it very painful to me, but it might at the same time conciliate my delicate scruples, my amukh pop as an ambitious chronicler, and the interest of my pocketbook. I knew that Pascal had the name of being very generous with an interview article if it pleased him, and besides, had he not promised me a reward if I succeeded with pokery? in short, I had decided to try my experiment when after a hasty breakfast, I saw on stepping into the carriage I had had the night before a Victoria with coat of arms drive rapidly past and was stunned at recognizing Fauquier himself, apparently lost in a gloomy reverie that was in singular contrast to his high spirits of the night before. The small trunk of the coachman's seat was a sufficient indication that he was going to the station. The train for Paris left in twelve minutes, time enough for me to pack my things pell-mell into my valise and hurriedly to pay my bill. The same carriage, which was to have taken me to the Chateau de Fobie, carried me to the station at full speed. And when the train left, I was seated in an empty compartment opposite the famous writer, who was saying to me, You, too, desiring Nemours, like me, you work best in Paris. The conversation began in, its, in this way, might easily have led to the confession i had resolved to make for in the presence of my unexpected companion i was seized cease unconquerable shyness moreover he inspired me with a curiosity which was quite equal to my shyness any number of circumstances from a telegram from a sick relative to the most commonplace matter of business might have explained his sudden departure from the chateau where I had left him so comfortably itself the night before, but that the expression of his face should have changed as it had that eighteen hours he should have become the this discouraged being he now seemed when I had left him so pleased with life, so happy, so assiduous in his attentions to that pretty girl, Mademoiselle de. Rousseau loved him and of whom he seemed to love was a mystery which took complete possession of me this time without any underlying professional motive he was to give me the key before we reached paris at any rate i shall always believe that part of his conversation was in an indirect way a confidence he was still on strong by the unexpected incident which had caused both his hasty departure and the sudden metamorphosis in what he himself if he had been writing would have called himself intimate heaven the story he told me was fair as for Gars, as bale loved to say his idea was that i would not discover the real hero i shall always believe that it was his own story under another name and I love to believe it because it was so exactly his way of looking at things. It was a purpose of the supposed subject of my novel, oh irony, a propus of the real subject of my interview that he began. I have been thinking about our conversation and about your book and I'm afraid that I expressed myself badly yesterday. When I said that one may love and be loved at any age, I ought to have added that sometimes this love comes too late. It comes when one no longer has the right to prove to the loved one how much she is loved, except by love sacrifice. I should like to share with you a human document, as they say today, which is in itself a drama, without the moment. but i must ask you not to use it for well, the secret is not my own with assurance of my discretion he went on i had a friend a companion of my own age who when he was twenty had loved a young girl he was poor she was rich her family separated them the girl married someone else and almost immediately afterward she died my friend lived some day you will know for yourself that it is almost as true to say that one recovers from all things as that there is nothing which does not leave its scar i had been the confidant of a serious passion and i became the confidant of, this, of the various affairs that followed that first Ineffaceable disappointment. He felt. He inspired other lovers. He tasted other joys. He endured other sorrows. And yet when we were alone and he was touched upon those confidences that come from the heart's depth, the girl who was the ideal of twenty reappeared in his words. How many times he has said that to me. In others I have always looked for her, and as I have never found her, I have never truly loved any one but her. And had she loved him? I interrupted. He did not think so, replied Foker. At least she had never told him so. Well, you must now imagine my friend at my age, or almost there, you must picture him growing gray. Tired of life, and convinced that he had at last discovered the secret of peace, at this time he met, while visiting some relatives in a country house, a mere girl of twenty, who was the haunting image of her whom he had hoped to marry thirty years before. It was one of those strange resemblances which extend from the color of the eyes to the temper of the voice from the smile to the thought, from the gestures to the finest feelings of the heart. I could not, in a few disjoint phrases, describe you to the strange emotions of my friend. It would take pages and pages to make you understand the tenderness, both present and at the same time retrospective, for the dead through the living the hypnotic condition of the soul which does not know where dreams and memories end and present feeling begins the daily commingling of the most unreal thing in the world the phantom of a lost love with the freshest, the most actual the most irresistibly naive and spontaneous thing in it a young girl she comes she goes she laughs, she sings, you go about with her in the intimacy of country life, and at her side walks one long dead end. After two weeks of almost careless abandon to the dangerous lights of this inward agitation, imagine my friend entering by chance one morning of the less frequented rooms of the house. A gallery, where among other pictures, a portrait of himself painted when he was twenty-five he approaches the portrait abstractedly there had been a fire in the room so that slight moisture dimmed the glass which protected the vessel and on this glass because of this moisture he sees distinctly the trace of tulips which had been placed upon the eyes of the portrait two small deli- Delicate lips, the sight of which makes his heart beat. He leaves the gallery, questions a servant, who tells him that no one but the young woman he has in mind has been in the room that morning. What then? I asked, as he paused. My friend returned to the gallery, looked once more at the adorable imprint of the most innocent, the most passionate of cares a mirror hung nearby where he could compare his present and his former face the man he was with the man he had been he never told me and i never asked what his feelings were at that moment did he feel that he was too culpable to have inspired a passion in a young girl whom he would have been a fool almost a criminal to marry did he comprehend that through his age which was so apparent it was his youth which this child loved if he remembered with a keenness that was all too sad that other who had never given him a kiss like that at a time when he might have returned it i only know that he left the same day determined never again to see one whom he could no longer love as he had loved the other with the hope the purity the soul of a man of twenty a few hours after this conversation i found myself once more in the office of the boulevard seated in pascal's den, and he was saying already have you accomplished your interview with pierre He would not even receive me, I replied boldly What did I tell you? he sneered, shrugging his big shoulders. You'll get even with him on his next folly. But you know, Labarthy, as long as you continue to have that innocent look about you, you can't expect to succeed in newspaper's work. I bore him the ill humor of my chief. For the good he had said if he had known that I had my pocket and interview, and in my head an anecdote, which were material for a most successful story, and he has never had either the interview or the story. Since then, I have made my way in the line where he said I should fail. I have lost my innocent look, and I earn my 30,000 francs a year, and more. I have never had the same pleasure in the printing of the most profitable and most brilliant article that I had in consigning to oblivion the sheets relating my visit to New. I often think that I have not served the cause of letters as I wanted to, since with all my laborious work, I have never written a book, and yet, when I recall the irresistible impulse of respect which prevented me from committing to a dearly loved master a most profitable but infamous indiscretion i said to myself if you have not served the cause of letters you have not betrayed it and this is the reason now that folkry is no longer of this world that it seems to me that the time has come for me to relate my first interview there is none of which i am more proud End of the Age for Love by Paul Bourget. Recording by Carla Fox. Pop-